Hello, I am Kelly McVeigh. This is Carry On with Kelly, the podcast where we unpack the stories of my cancer, travel, recovery, and self-discovery from one small bag. Just a warning, there might be tears on this episode, which you should expect by now. And also, I'm going to be talking about Sri Lanka, and I am horrible at pronunciation, especially of long words and not my native language. So Sri Lanka has a lot of long words, a lot of long names, and I don't pronounce them correctly. So let's start with there. Today is episode seven of season three of Carry On With Kelly. Today is June 22nd, 2021. I realized that I mentioned Sri Lanka the past couple episodes and, and mentioned how magical it was on my visit there and how much I loved it, but never really told any stories. So I thought today would be a great time to just sort of unpack some of my Sri Lankan stories. So I I was a certain type of traveler before I left the country. So let's go back to my trip around the world in 2016. I left, I don't know, August 10th of 2016. I started planning that trip in October of 2015. And I researched where I wanted to go. And New Year's Eve, which was very monumental, I booked the flights. And every month, the beginning of 2016, I planned a city. So January, I planned Dublin. And February, I planned what was after Dublin, Dublin, Athens. And I, I took all this time to really research these cities and where I wanted to go and where I wanted to stay and, and book these hotels. And it was this really methodical planned out trip when it was fine to plan that way. And I know a lot of people plan that way, but when I moved overseas, I kind of envisioned life to be a little different. And the first couple months it was not, I left New York August 30th of 2017 and with the exception of a couple trips to Bangkok, I didn't go anywhere from when I left New York until I was back in the States for Christmas. I didn't visit anything else except for, like I said, Bangkok. And I went other places in Cambodia other than Siem Reap just to kind of see what it was all about. But I didn't travel much. And then I got back from the States over Christmas. My nephew and his girlfriend came with me. I showed them Cambodia. And then we went back to Bangkok and Atatoya. And when they left, just this switch in me flipped. And I told John, my friend with the hotel, I'm like, I need to travel more. You know, I'm, I'm basically doing this. And I think at that time, I already knew that I was only going to travel for all of 2018 before I came home. And that's when I just sort of got this wind and I would just find a flight and go. And I really hit my stride in, you know, March. I went to Phnom Penh and then I went to Bangkok and then I went to Bali. And, and by then I was ready to leave the States and I came back to the States for a few weeks. So I just started kind of hitting the stride and it really was perfect when I'm sitting in Tokyo, the end of May of 2018, and I knew I didn't have to be back at the hotel until July because John was going to leave. I was going to manage the hotel for the month of July. So I'm sitting in Tokyo with like four weeks with nowhere I really needed to be. And I happened upon Sri Lanka. It was a three hour flight from Bangkok. You know, my at the time, 
you might not know this, but at the time I really based everything on distance from Bangkok. So I leave Tokyo, I go to Bangkok and I stayed at the same hotel every time I was there. So I left my carry on at the hotel in Bangkok and left Bangkok with a tote bag. And that's what I went to Sri Lanka for about three and a half, four weeks with was this tote bag. Everything, which I've mentioned before, color coordinated, all blue, all navy, all matchable. And I, I took this crazy adventure through Sri Lanka. So first thing we need to point out, I get to the Sri Lankan airport and I come out and the doors open and there's a bunch of drivers standing there. And one driver approaches me with this huge flowered lay around in his hands and he puts it around my neck. He greets me by name. I'm slightly confused because I found the driver. I used this Facebook page called um, Solo Female Travelers. And one of them recommended a driver. And I really thought I was hiring a woman. Um, I was not. So he approaches me and I, I'm a little confused on how he knows who I am. And then I realized that I was the only person on the plane who was non-Indian and non-Sri Lankan. I at the time had, you know, shoulder length, blonde, crazy, curly hair, blonde, orange, crazy, curly hair. So based on a visual analysis, I'm sure he knew who I was. So two reasons I had a driver. One, I didn't have a driver's license. Two, even if I did have a driver's license, the roads looked pretty crazy. And three, if I didn't have a private car, I would have to take a combination of buses and trains. And with what I wanted to do throughout my trip and with my aversion to public transportation where I can't control things like if I get motion sickness, we can't pull on the side of the road to get me some water, things like that. Best case was for me to get this driver at a pretty reasonable price, if I must say so. So the first part of the trip, I decided that I was going to stay in this town called Habarana in north central Sri Lanka. And I was going to use that town as a base. So I would spend the night at the same resort and I use that term loosely and then every morning my driver would pick me up and take me to one of the UNESCO sites that I wanted to see. Reminder, UNESCO is the UN's Educational Scientific and Cultural Organization, which almost the whole entire country of Sri Lanka is designated a UNESCO site, which is why it's so fabulous for me. So like I said, I use this term resort loosely. It was a group of small huts with thatched roofs. It was cute. I was the only guest because it was very off season, right on the cusp of becoming the full season. So there really weren't any other tourists around in Habarana. Um, after I checked in, I took a walk that afternoon to town just to get some basic necessities that I normally don't travel with, like hair conditioner. I'm walking back to my thatched roof hut and this man says to me, your room is down that road. And he points down this dirt road that I had just passed. So I'm in town less than three hours. And already I'm designated a, a non-local because I stood out so much. Very, very quickly, I learned to recognize the dirt road I was supposed to be on. The first morning I woke up pitch black of night. Jet lag was a real issue sometimes when I traveled so much. 
But the problem wasn't so much the jet lag. It was the fact that when I woke up, there was no electricity, there was no Wi-Fi, and there was no hot water for me to take a shower. It turns out since I was the only guest, they decided to shut the whole resort down overnight. So we had to have the next morning a very nice conversation with the manager owner slash groundskeeper to explain the importance of at least keeping the Wi-Fi and the power on for me. So, you know, what if something happened and I'm in this jungle hut alone? We were fine from there on in. Like I said, every morning my driver picks, picked me up. Um, the first place we went was, wow, here's the first word, Paulo Narawa. Oh, that's horrible. I'm sorry. Which was a former capital of Sri Lanka. It was also where the Hungry Like the Wolf Duran Duran video was filmed. One day he picked me up and took me to Siguria or Lion's Rock, where this king decided to build his palace on top of this massive rock. Like the rock was the height, I believe, of the Empire State Building. Halfway up the rock, he built this gateway to the palace, which was in the shape of a huge lion, hence the nickname Lion's Rock. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day because I'm planning a trip to Machu Picchu in September. And I just realized that Machu Picchu and Lion's Rock really have a lot in common. Not an original thought. I Googled it. Apparently a lot of other people think the same thing. Another day I took a Jeep safari into Kaladala National Park and Elephant Sanctuary. I'm not going to pretend to remember any of the animals that my safari guide showed me except the elephants. There were so many elephants and we would, oh, it was just amazing. Just amazing to watch them, the little babies playing in the water with their mom. Just definitely an amazing experience. That might have been the same day I went to Anawardapara. Wow, I'm really bad at this. Which is another former capital of Sri Lanka. It's famous for its really well-preserved ruins of the Sinhala civilization. I think my one of my favorites at this point in the trip, absolutely my favorite, was the Dambulla Cave Temples. There was this huge rock in the middle of the plains that you had to climb up. I did a lot of climbing up these huge rocks. And they said there was about 80 caves in this huge rock, but there were five major caves. And those are the ones I visited. 153 statues of Buddha, statues of the Sri Lanka kings, 23,000 square feet of wall space that was painted with all these murals that were still some so lovely that you could you could see even though it was so many hundred years old as i was writing this podcast it really struck me that those cave temples were really similar to the pak al cave temples outside of luan prabang um but that slow boat up the mekong river is a story for another day in between all of these UNESCO sites. I took Baktik art lessons. I visited the Ceylon Tea Museum and the Garagama Tea Factory. I sat in outdoor cafes for every meal, which was one of my goals in life when I left the country. It was just this amazing, amazing time. But I think my favorite part of that week of the trip, every day when my driver would pick me up, we'd go down this dirt road and have to hit the main 
let's call it highway, the main two-way road. And every day as we're driving down the road, we would pass at least one, if not two or three elephants walking on the side of the road. And it was just this magical experience to just see these elephants lumbering, lumbering down the road. Loved it. From there, he drove me to Candy, the sacred city of Candy, where the entire town is a UNESCO site. Candy is surrounded by tea plantations and a really biodiverse rainforest. And then right in the center of downtown Candy is this huge lake. So I went from the thatched roof huts to the Queen's Hotel, which is probably the fanciest hotel I stayed at. Had to be the fanciest hotel I stayed at when I was in Sri Lanka. It was one of the oldest buildings in the entire country. And the Queen has said to have stayed there when the island was under her rule before it became Sri Lanka when it was known as Ceylon. There was actually a bar called the Lord Mountbatten Bar after Lord Mountbatten, obviously, because he stayed there often. Um, yeah, so Candy was was just such a different experience from the beginning of Sri Lanka. Every day I would walk around that huge lake and just take it all in. There was fantastic restaurants. One day I took a very dangerous tuk-tuk ride to the Botanic Garden and I took breakfast out there and oddly I was walking my empty paper bag to the garbage can in the Botanical Gardens and, and this huge monkey dropped on the walkway in front of me, huge monkey. And the other people are screaming, he wants your bag, he wants your bag. I'm like, there's nothing in there. So I just threw this paper bag out into the distance and the monkey went after the bag. That's probably a little foreshadowing from all the monkey issues that I had in Bali that one day I'll tell you all about. Um, one other big thing about the, the Queen's Hotel the bartender would give me these huge buckets of ice every day, which I requested. So keep in mind, it's like 100, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like, what, 40 degrees Celsius in Sri Lanka. And when I was in Hebarana, I would ask for ice and they'd float like one little ice cube on top of my drink. And when I would buy a bottle of water, it was really lukewarm, which doesn't quench my thirst. And at the time I had this crazy thirst that I, I could not quench when I was traveling. Um, which side, side note was a symptom of my cancer, but we didn't know that at the time. So I get to candy and he's giving me all the ice that I need, which was so, so important. So my driver picks me up from candy and on the way to Gaul, we stop overnight at um, Sir Lipton's Tea Plantation. So Sir Lipton, obviously, you know, Lipton Tea. The tea plantation was up this, there were dozens and dozens of Switzbacks to go up this road and you visit this tea plantation and then you can hike to the top after I took a tour of the plantation and everything. You hike to the top of the mountain and you sit in Lipton's seat where Sir Lipton would go every morning to overlook his amazing tea plantation. And those are probably some of my favorite pictures I've ever taken of myself and of the, the scenery, but just this really amazing experience. We drove down to Gaul, which is kind of the southwest corner of Sri Lanka. 
again, a whole UNESCO site, specifically the old Fort neighborhood, which is where I stayed. This kind of neighborhood was behind a fort built in the 15th century. And in the 17th century, they restored it and modified it to where they actually call it one of the most important archaeology, architectural, and historic monuments that illustrate the relationship and the influence between European and Southeast Asia. Um, wow. Anyway, it might not excite some of you, but it really excited me. When I was in Fort Gall, I rented an Airbnb. The room was lovely. It was on the second floor and had a huge wraparound balcony and I had a separate entrance, but each morning I had breakfast in the family kitchen and grandma cooked for me every morning. Um, grandma didn't speak any English. So occasionally we would luck out and her granddaughter would be there so she could translate between the two of us. So I'll share this story. One afternoon it had to be evening. It was dusk. I'm in Fort Gall. And I had this long navy blue dress, literally came to my ankles and it was buttoned from the neck to the ground. And I kept some of the buttons at the top and the bottom open. And it was the perfect dress for this kind of weather. So I'm walking down this cobblestone street in Fort Gall. Like I said, it's dusk. I'm heading back to my room and this dog is hanging out on the street. There's no people, but there's this dog and this dog won't leave me alone. And I go to walk a different direction and the dog follows me and I walk a different direction and the dog follows me and the dog comes up and he grabs the hem of my dress and he starts yanking at my dress and he won't let my dress go. So I'm standing in these streets to the point that I was contemplating taking my dress off and walking back to my room with whatever was underneath the dress because this dog was really starting to freak me out. I didn't ever feel like he was going to hurt me, but this dog would not let my dress go. At some point, this had to last for 15 minutes. Somebody rounded the corner and he got drawn to a different direction and sort of took off and left me there. So the next morning I'm telling the granddaughter about what happened and she laughed and said the dog belonged to some old expat that hung out in town that maybe the expat sent the dog to bring him back a woman that night or something. Just a silly joke that she was telling me. Uh, while I was in Fort Gall, I also visited my last tea plantation. I took a tuk-tuk ride out there to the Herman Teas at the Hondagonda Estates. Their specialty was actually virgin white tea which the old wives tale basically said that they would not harvest the tea. No human hands harvested the tea, except the only people that could harvest them were virgins wearing white gloves and clipping the tea leaves with golden scissors. I don't know if that was true or not, but the tea was actually fantastic. I ended up doing this great tour of the tea plantation and then they served us cake. It was me and this family with two young kids, but the tea was amazing that I that evening went to the Amengal Hotel, which for those of you that don't know the Amen Hotels, these are well above my price point, but I could afford to have afternoon tea there and they served me a pot of virgin white tea, which was fantastic. My last night in Sri Lanka, the driver dropped me at an Airbnb not far from the airport. 
and the owner of the Airbnb arranged for me to have a tuk-tuk to get me to the airport in time to catch my flight. And the tuk-tuk driver picks me up. We're riding down the road. He, I'm not at the airport when he pulls over to the side of the road and tells me I have to get out there to walk that he's not allowed in the airport. And I grabbed my tote bag and I walked to the airport to catch my flight, which if you've never taken a tuk-tuk to the airport, it's something I highly recommend. Um, Walking is also a pretty great feat. Fantastic experience. So that was the end of my trip. Um, There's so much more to see and do in Sri Lanka. And I really, I dream of getting back there. Maybe, maybe next year. Maybe next year. So I'm recording this on Tuesday. I tried to record this episode a couple times over the weekend. And last week was just such a an eventful, emotional week. All good. All good. I, As the pandemic's winding down, so many things are happening to people around me. You know, friends who haven't seen their parents because their parents live overseas, who haven't seen their parents in a year and a half or seeing their parents or, you know, driving across borders to see their family and all these emotional things that have really, um, really kind of hit me in all the good places. You know, I, I had a very emotional week on my end, which I'll probably talk about next episode, but this is kind of my interpretation of what all of this pandemic winding down means to me individually. And we're all making personal interpretations at this point, I hope. But, and I don't want to focus too much on on the tarot card reading from last week, but the one thing the reader said to me that he sensed I had this obstacle, you know, this misfortune card in the center, but he said this obstacle was a blessing because it's giving me time to put things in order. So first off, nothing about this pandemic can be looked at as a a blessing. It's been gut-wrenching in so many ways. You lived it. I lived it. We don't have to rehash any of it. So I think we can all agree that it hasn't been a blessing. But just in the midst of all this horribleness, just hear me out on this for a second. In the midst of all this horribleness, the world slowed down and to a point that we basically stopped moving for a while. So why that was important to me, remember, when the world slowed down, I was already at a standstill and just started to get moving. So the whole time I was sick, the world was spinning around me and I was standing still. And then the world stopped and I started to kind of pick up my pace a bit, pick up my a little bit of momentum, pick up a little bit of speed and started to find my stride during the time of the pandemic. As, as you guys know, I started my MBA at the very beginning of the pandemic, which I just started my last class this week. And the only thing left after this is my thesis. So the world's not really back up to full speed yet, but neither am I. But I feel like the world and I are kind of picking up pace together that I was able to pick enough pay, pick up enough pace that I can jump back on to the spinning world. Does that make sense to everybody? I thought a lot about it. So it makes sense to me in my head. Um, like me 
and the world, we are on this trajectory to ramp up together. I am never going to see the pandemic as a blessing, but within the pandemic, I did find the time to put the pieces of my life back together, if that makes sense. Again, in the next couple weeks, I'm sure I will talk more about it. But to go back to the beginning of season three, I led the beginning of the season with the idea that I don't know where the season is going to take me. Um, in fact, if we go back to the very first episode of season one, I make mention that I really hope to be traveling around the world for my 50th birthday. So let's go right there. I'm not going to travel around the world for my 50th birthday, but I will tell you that I'm planning a trip. So we will start to talk about that in the coming weeks. I've kind of hinted or mentioned that Machu Picchu is involved in part of it, but I, I will be taking a trip for my birthday. So we can start talking about that. And as we wrap up season three in the next couple weeks, I do have a focus and I have a path and I can kind of tell you what's going to go on with the next, I believe, 10 months of my life. Um, so that's really huge. That is really huge. Early in season one, this is where the tears will come in. <laughs> We're just going to stop there. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Carry On With Kelly. I am going to record a side episode this week, just an update on my health, all good things, but I'll just leave that for a separate episode. And I hope you join me next week as I continue to carry on. <laughs>